You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat, where baseball meets Broadway and sports meet show business. I'm your host, Al Malafrante, coming at you from the batter's box with the first former Yankee that we've had the privilege to welcome here in 2022. Across his eight-year big league career, he played on three postseason teams, and these days you can catch him on Bally Sports South as an analyst for another team he used to play for in the Atlanta Braves. I'm so grateful he could join us today, so with that being said, I ask you all to please turn your attention to home plate. Just beyond the marquee, now batting Nick Greed. Nick, welcome. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm hanging in there, man, trying to get through this uh, offseason, and hopefully we have baseball soon. That's all I care about right now. I hear that, man. Where's home for you these days? Uh, I'm in Atlanta. So I grew up in Atlanta, went to high school here, went to college here, and then uh, ended up buying a house when I played for the Braves. So my wife wants to move, and uh, my family's here, so we'll we'll stay for a little bit as long as I have a job. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on, man? What do you think of? Uh, you know, we obviously have this lockout extending a little bit longer than we'd like to. You being a former player, what's your take on the whole thing? You know, it's frustrating to me because just baseball is moving in such a great direction. Obviously, the Braves win the World Series, so here in Atlanta, it it feels like maybe it's a little bit different than all over the world as far as baseball is concerned. But um, right now, it's just a good time for baseball. And it's frustrating that they wait so long to try to get negotiations started. I'm frustrated that they didn't start this in December because they know how important it is to get the season started on both sides. And it's it's just sad that we're probably going to lose some games. And it's unfortunate that fans were excited to continue to see baseball. Uh, so from my perspective, it's a little bit frustrating yeah, it's frustrating for me, too, because I'm going to lose games that I could be doing as well. Uh, but it's it's costing a lot of people, and I think it's unfortunate. I know that each side has their own, um, I guess, points that they want to be made, and they want to change things in players. Obviously, the last CBA didn't go their way, and they've understood that. They realize that they want things to change. But at the same time, baseball is in such a good spot. You're costing a lot of people money right now, not just the players, the owners, that kind of thing. We have so many people that work for us that are freelancers that aren't getting paid, that are going to lose money here and there. 
because they don't have the opportunity to work. So that being said, why can't you do this in December and January? Yeah, well, I think that's a leadership thing more than anything. Um, you, you know, you mentioned uh, how exciting baseball's been, especially in your hometown of Atlanta, fresh off that World Series championship. Uh, give me your honest take. Is this Freddie Freeman leaving Atlanta stuff just all fluff, or do you actually think that there's some truth to the fact that he's upset about the fact that Atlanta's not going past that fifth year? Well, it's gone a little bit too far for me. So um, I know Alex has his way of doing business and I know he's made offers and um, the the sad part about it is Freddie Freeman is Atlanta. And when you think about the Braves, you think about Chipper Jones playing his entire career here uh, and you don't want a guy like Freddie Freeman to leave. I think that it's going to be hard to replace him. You're going to have to give up prospects. If you were to try to replace them via trade, uh, Matt Olson would be the only logical option for me. Um, and it's going to be tough to get. You're going to have to get things up. Alex really hasn't given anything up to get anybody since he's been here in Atlanta. So we'll see what happens. But I feel like you can't move on without Freddie Freeman. It's going to be really hard. The fans are going to be upset. And he's that guy that is a brave for life, in my opinion. So in my opinion, and what I think they should do is do anything you can to get him signed. Now, do you think his game plays well into his late 30s? I think it does. I mean, his swing's a little bit different than other swings but he knows what he's doing. He's a line drive guy that has power. So I think that line drive stroke is going to stay for the entirety of his career. And with the DH coming in, you could DH him as well to keep him fresh. So I, yeah, I think he plays into 38, 39 pretty easily. Now you obviously have some great baseball insight, Nick. What was it that made you want to, you know, get into broadcasting, you know, because throughout your playing career, you know, obviously you were a very intelligent player, but was there something that drew you towards the booth? Uh, you know, I just wanted to stay in the game. And I think the biggest thing for me, as far as this job's concerned, is I get to stay home for the most part with what I do right now. I'd love to be in the booth. And I think that's everybody's ultimate goal as a broadcaster. So I do a pre and post and I stay home every day. I, I worked 115, 116 games last year, but I got to go home and sleep in my own bed. I get to see my kids every day. Uh, and I also didn't have to worry about what other people were doing as far as like a coach, for instance has to worry about, oh, these players, are they playing well? And I have to keep my job. So it's all up to me. And I think that's a cool thing um, in broadcasting. If I do my job, I'll have continue to have my job. And I'm still around the game. I get to go down and talk to the players, the manager, uh, and talk about baseball. So I don't know if there's another job other than being in the booth on a consistent basis that I would love to have. You know, if, uh, if you, I'm going back in my memory bank here. You talk about growing up in Atlanta. I actually, it's funny, when you played for the Yankees here, uh, I think you got traded over from Tampa Bay. It was 2006. I remember I went to a game against the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. It was Military Appreciation Day. And I think your coach was sitting next to or in front of us. He came to see you. I don't know if that was your high school coach. Does this ring any bells to you? Uh, I think college coach. At Yankee I, Stadium, I, know, yeah. I know that I had my college coach, my brother, and a college teammate come visit us in New York. So that probably is what it was. And I and he was a my college coach is a huge Yankees fan, huge Derek Jeter fan. So he had the time of his life and he got to meet Brian Cashman. It was like it was heaven for him. Yeah, I know you got into the game that day too, because if memory serves, so you guys took an early lead, like Jeter and Giambi hit 
a couple of home runs. And I think Randy Johnson was pitching for the Yankees and got shellacked by the Rays. And I think <laughs> that, like the final score was like 19 to six. Do you remember the game I'm talking about? I don't know if I remember that game or not. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's such a cool memory for me going to New York. And I, I, it kind of runs in together because I played with Tampa in 05 and went to New York a lot. Obviously, we're in the same division. And then I started in 06 in Tampa and then got traded to New York. So it all kind of runs together. But I tell, you, tell people all the time, um, you know, that was one of my favorite places to play. I love being on that team. I actually spoke to some kids just last night and I talked about all the guys that were on the team with me in New York. And I don't know if any of the kids knew anybody on the team, but, uh, but that team was unbelievable. And when I looked back at it, it was just, uh, just a special moment being able to, play, able to play in New York for the Yankees and with all those players. Now, when you got traded over here at the time, there were a lot of injuries on the team, like Matsui was down, Sheffield was down. When you first walked into that clubhouse, you know, in Broadway, it's very important to have defined roles. Did Joe Torre sit you down and talk to you about what he had in mind for you, or did you kind of ha have an idea when you came in? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I had an idea, but Joe, Joe was – I love Joe. I played with, for Joe in New York and L.A., and Joe's a great manager. Joe's a great manager of egos, and that's kind of what he was. I mean, you had superstars all over the field. So what's his job? His job is to take care of those guys, not necessarily take care of me. So I kind of knew my role. Larry Bow was amazing to me. Lee Mazzilli was awesome. Um, I actually uh, saw that my first Yankee home run um, the other day. And Mazzilli's talking to me in the dugout. And I'm like, you know what? I always used to call him coach. And he used to get so mad at me uh, because I used to call him coach instead of uh, Lee. So it, it was pretty funny, but I knew my role. Um, I, I knew that I wasn't going to get to play much. Larry Boa always told me when I was going to play the night before. So he'd be like, okay, Jeter's going to get a day off or Cano's going to get a day off or Alex is going to get a day off, whatever it was. So he always gave me the heads up. On the back end of games, I had to be uh, like, look out for blowouts, that kind of thing. So it was pretty easy as far as knowing when I would play and when I wouldn't play. Um, you know, I, I have one memory of playing in New York against the Mariners. J.J. Putz is closing. I'm three for three with two doubles, and they pinch hit me in the ninth inning. And Alex Rodriguez was like, what are they doing? Why are they pinch hitting for you? And it was Bernie Williams pinch hitting for me. So it's like, I get it. I understand that stuff um, because we had superstars on the, that team. So it was, it was, it was fun, and, and I'll, I'll remember those memories forever. Now, you mentioned Alex Rodriguez. You played in New York during the height of his feud with Derek Jeter. I, w I don't know if you even want to call it feud, <laughs> but I guess the two of them being a little frosty towards each other. Did you see a lot of that inside the club? I didn't see any of it. I mean, I stayed with Alex. Uh, he actually brought me in. I stayed with him for two over two weeks with his, his wife and kid at the time. Um, Did you two know each other before that? We didn't know each other, and he just brought me in, and, and I actually went down to the offseason and went to Miami. He texted me and said, hey, get a flight down to Miami. I got a new cage. Let's work out. So he was great to me. And Derek was awesome to me, too. Um, I didn't see anything between the two of those guys. I mean, they were cordial and they talked. And, um, you know, sometimes it could get a little awkward just in general with, with uh, big-name guys every day. But they were awesome. Giambi uh, was amazing. Johnny Damon was amazing. So, you know, when you look at that clubhouse, you have guys like Giambi and Johnny Damon, who opened things up and make it a little bit more, I guess, lovable inside the clubhouse. Even if guys are 
feuding a little bit, but I didn't see any of that. Now, what was your favorite part of actually playing in the city of New York? Did you get out and enjoy Midtown much? Which areas would you hang out in? Oh my goodness. I, 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 it's probably bad of me to say, but I, I used to do all my partying and hanging out in New York and sleep on the road. So I used to go wherever, wherever somebody told me to go is where I would go. And, um, you know, we saw a lot of people out. Our, our equipment manager used to go out all the time. I used to see Jeter out sometimes. Giambi would always text me, tell me where to go. So, and then I had other guys that just lived in the city that I knew too. So it was a blast. I mean, um, you know, I was what, I don't know, in my late twenties, 30 years old, something like that, late twenties, I think. And, um, I had a good time in New York. I'll say that. (laughs) Now, when you look back on that team, I always tell people that it shocks me that either, you know, the 05, 06 or 07 team did not win or even get to a World Series. Going through that 06 season, you guys had that it factor, that sense of magic. Obviously, you finished with the best record in the American League. Did you, When you were going through it, did you think you were going to win the World Series that year? Because I know you guys not, got knocked out pretty early by the Tigers, and it kind of shocked the world. So what was your stance on that? I did um, until, until we got to uh, Detroit. I mean, the craziest part about that was like I, I played in Atlanta – we got beat by Houston. Beltron went off in the postseason that year uh, in 2004. 2005, I go to one of the worst teams in baseball. We lost 95 games in Tampa. And then I go to New York where they expect to win again. We had the greatest offense that I've ever seen. But at the same time, I don't think we had enough pitching. And Joe, if you ever look at Joe Torrey's track record or bullpen usage, he blows guys out every year. So he used the same guys over and over and over, but we didn't have the fresh arms when we needed them. Um, and then you go to, to Detroit. So we split the first two games in New York. We go to Detroit, and I remember walking out of the dugout and looking at all the fans in the stands waving the white flags in Detroit. And I was like, oh, no, this isn't good. And we end up losing. I mean, we, we, almost like when we went to Detroit, we didn't stand a chance. It was crazy the feeling that I got in, that, in Tiger Stadium. So is that why Kenny Rogers looked like Sandy Koufax that that game three? <laughs> well, if, <laughs> you if, guys if you, owned the whole year. Well, if you if you remember too, um, when you when you I don't know if they actually came out with the lineup that day, but they had Joe Torre had switched the lineup too, which kind of messed things up as well. So Kenny Rogers, Sheffield was supposed to face Kenny Rogers playing first base, and he pulled him out, and then Giambi went in and played first base that day, and so it kind of like. It was just a, a whirlwind of things that went wrong for us. Um, if Sheffield played, I don't know what would have happened, but it just didn't feel, nothing felt right. And Kenny Rogers knew how to pitch. Um, you know, he's a, he was a veteran guy who really understood what he needed to do to get things done. Postseason didn't bother him. And, you know, he got it done. And then come game four, did you guys, I mean, what was the attitude going into? That game because A Rod was suddenly batting eighth. Sheffield's randomly. I forgot. I forgot about up. that too. I yeah, like what, what was going on in the clubhouse during too. that? That was a big deal too. So like you can't when, when you're when you're trying to win a postseason game and you start changing things up like that. The the one thing that I remember was the Sheffield Giambi thing, and then I had forgotten about Alex hitting eighth. You can't try to make things up as far as the lineup's concerned and expect it to work like that. That doesn't work. Those guys are superstars. Alex Rodriguez is one of the best players to ever play the game. I get it. He was struggling. 
but you move him to eighth, what does that do for the morale of the team? You know, it changes completely. And that's what I'm saying with like the whirlwind of things that went wrong for us. It, it just, nothing felt right. And, um, and, you know, for me, it was game three when we, when I walked into that, uh, stadium, when I came out of the clubhouse and it just didn't feel right. And we couldn't get it back on track. It was, it was a, it was a tough deal for us as good as we were. Were you guys getting angry in that clubhouse, like flipping tables and yelling, like, I, well, especially I, after losing I game three? I, I can't, I can't go into details of what happened in that clubhouse, um, but things were not the the mojo wasn't there. I'll put it that way. Let me ask you this: Who was angrier, the coaches or the players? Players, players. Okay, <laughs> interesting. It, it was like everybody was on edge, and the the guys that we needed to not be on edge were on edge, and it kind of messed up the feeling in the clubhouse, it kind of, it, everything was just not going our way. And Joe didn't really do anything to kind of t- tone that down a little bit. I mean, we had a team that could have made it to the world series and won the world series, but it just, nothing gelled, nothing meshed at that time. And when one thing goes wrong in a short series, you can't recover. Now, George Steinbrenner was obviously older at that point, but he was pretty vocal in the papers after losing that series. Do you think that the tension had something to do with George kind of lurking at that point? I, I never felt George anywhere. I, I didn't feel the, the tension anywhere from him. Um, we always expected to win. And I think that's the, the thing about New York. is, And that's the cool part is when you go to a team like that, losing is not an option, right? So every, everybody's expected to win. It doesn't matter what role you play on the team you're expected to help your team win. And that's what it's all about. So when you start getting egos involved and guys, me, 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 and I'm not saying that's what happened that those in that postseason, but but it can happen over the course of 162 games that you can get all about me versus the team. Well, if it's not gelling at the right time, one guy's struggling and he's frustrated in the clubhouse who's a superstar, then all of a sudden the other players in the team feel that. And when when you have a team full of, nine superstars that you're bound to have one or two that are having a bad day and that's not necessarily a great thing so i think some of the best teams in baseball aren't the teams that are the most talented the most superstar laden teams it's those teams that have the guys that mesh and gel together so when i look at those teams i look at the atlanta braves from last year they had the right pieces of the puzzle did they have all superstars no they didn't but they had the right pieces of the puzzle everybody was pulling the same string and sometimes that doesn't happen when you have a team full of superstars. Now, you obviously, I mentioned you played on three uh, postseason teams throughout your career, but most of your playing time, or at least, you know, being a regular everyday player came while you were in Tampa Bay, um, which what you mentioned, you know, losing 95 games in 2005. When you look back on your career, do you have a favorite season? Is it playing on one of those great postseason teams, you know, as a role player or being an everyday guy for, you know, a not um, as successful team? You know, you, you guys aren't going to be happy about this, but it's, it's playing in Boston. That was my favorite season ever. Uh, I, I just, I, I love the rivalry between the Yankees and the Red Sox. I, I tell everybody if you can go to any, um, game that would be the best game to go to or series to go to, go to a Yankees-Red Sox series in Boston because Fenway Park is one of my favorite ballparks ever. It's always packed. There's always stuff going around on around the stadium. Um, it just is a different feel. And when I played in Boston, I had the feeling of a day off. I didn't want to sit at home. I wanted to go to the park and play. 
And I never had that feel for anywhere else I played. Did I love playing in different spots? Absolutely. And I played every day for uh, probably over two months in Boston, which was fun. I helped our team win. Uh, but it was it was just a different feel. And the same thing happened there with, with Boston. We got knocked out in the playoffs in 09 by the Angels. And we just didn't have the right group of guys that meshed at the right time. Like we had a really good team. And when we felt like we were going to go to the World Series, the same thing. You know, once you once you get punched in the mouth a little bit, how do you react? And sometimes you don't react well. Sometimes guys tense up. Uh, and that's kind of what happened in Boston, too. Uh, but that was my favorite place to play. I know Yankees fans aren't as excited to hear that, but it, it was a blast there. Hey, we won't hold it against you. Listen, this is a baseball <laughs> meets Broadway I podcast. Love both those teams. I love both of those teams. <laughs> <laughs> You got your You're in the NL East now. You don't need to have, you know, back That's with right. Atlanta. You don't have to have any allegiance there. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> Let me ask you, out of all the positions that you got to play in, or all the different roles, if we want to use a little Broadway crossover, which which was your favorite infield position? Where did you feel most natural? Uh, second base is the easiest for me. Uh, but I, I enjoyed playing shortstop. I thought it was just a more athletic position. So you could make more spectacular plays. You could go in the hole. You could show off your arm. There are different things that you could do uh, that were a little bit more flashy than second base. But second base, to me, was the easiest. And if I had a choice to not fail, that's where I would have played. Um, but I played I played uh, left field in Boston. And that was interesting because I was playing with the monster. And I always tell this story to uh, the guys whenever I talk about playing outfield. I said... So we're playing the Yankees in Fenway. I'm in left field. Uh, Posada hits a ball to me. Little It flares a little bit towards the, the foul pole. I'm in perfect position, make the play like I played outfield a thousand games, right? And I probably played 20. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm on a high. Next, uh, next hitter, Cano, comes up, and he hits one harder, and I misjudged it, and I thought I was on it, and all of a sudden I'm jumping up, and chasing it to the wall. It made my only area in left field against the Yankees <laughs> because I couldn't read a Cano fly ball. Um, but, you know, that stuff, it, those are memories that, that not, if I didn't play that position, I wouldn't have that memory. I'll never forget the first time I played in right field. It was in uh, Turner Field. I had to borrow J.D. Drew's glove because I didn't have his gl- a glove. So they hit a foul ball down the line. I don't know the wall. I run into the, just run slap into the wall running around in right field. And and so those are funny memories that I, again, I wouldn't have if no, nobody put me out there. The other thing too, and I think this is funny too. Um, I, the first time I played first base was in New York. We were in Boston. Um, uh, Andy Phillips had either, he was hurt or something. I can't remember. Anyway, they asked me if I could play first late in the ball game. And I said, yeah, I, Lee Mazzilli is like, hey, have you played first base before? And I said, yeah, I played first base, never played there in my life. He's like, don't effing lie to me. And I'm running upstairs grabbing a glove from Andy Phillips. I run out on the field. It's the, we were, I think we, the score ended up being uh, a four-run game. Anyway, Rivera's pitching to close it out. William Opinion's on first base. Um, I think, no, William Opinion was hitting, I think. Anyway, they hit a ball to me. There's a man on first. Instead of going to second base, making the easy throw because it was to my right, I field the ball to my right, 
and throw it behind me to Rivera and it about tore his ACL. We got to throw it behind him. And then I never played first base again there. <laughs> and you had Don Mattingly on that coaching staff too. Did he yeah, have anything yeah, to say yeah. about that? <laughs> no, we just, we just let it go. We just let it go. Four run so, lead. You could let it go. Sure. Yeah, we were, but, but Rivera was pitching and it was, it was crazy. But I remember that because Mazzilli is like, you don't effing lie to me as I'm running up the, up the stairs to get a glove. <laughs> yeah, so you got introduced to Brooklyn, New York, Italian really uh, quickly. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> did you ever catch any uh, Broadway while you were here in New York? I didn't. I wish I would have. Um, you know, at the time, I was I was too worried about baseball and then hanging out at night. So uh, I, I wish I could go back and, and catch some Broadway for sure. My, my wife uh, majored in TV, so she's a big TV person and um, you know, we'd love to get catch a Broadway play at some time. She acted a little bit and it was something that she is interested in. And um, you know, now that I'm older, I wish I would have done things a little bit differently and I I could catch something like that. But you all right, so you, but you're big into the arts, it sounds like in the uh greenhouse. Well, mm-hmm. what shows are you watching these days? So just you know Well, we, you know what? We have we have a seven year old and a three and a half year old. So we're watching a lot of bluey uh right now is big on the on the TV. Um, we are watching Paw Patrol, those kind of things. But we've actually, the last two weeks, my wife and I have been able to watch some shows on Netflix at night. And The Puppet Master was amazing and crazy. Uh, the Tender Swindler was amazing and crazy. Uh, and, and so we're, last night we watched a, another Netflix thing about two, about a set of twins. One of them had an accident, motorcycle accident lost his memory and the brother basically brought him back talking about um you know what they've done as a family and it was kind of it's kind of messed up but it was it was very interesting so we are into right now the real life documentaries things oh yeah those are great you know if you want to watch the best documentaries my humble opinion there's so much good stuff on hbo max these days there, I, I looked yeah, through oh, it the yeah. other day and i didn't see uh a whole lot but i'm gonna take a look now and see if i can find something that i haven't seen before Tinder Tinder Swindler is going to be a tough act to follow though. That was one well, of the wild the puppet, ones. The Puppet Master is is even crazier. What's that about? I didn't it's I didn't get to watch it. Con Man, three episodes of Con Man. Uh, basically held one one lady, two ladies hostage for ten years, and it, it took their money as well. It's it's insane. It's insane. You got to check it out. I am absolutely going to check that out. Holy cow. This, this Three sounds episodes. One, the first one's an hour-ish. This, an hour and 20, maybe. The second one's like an hour, and then the third one is uh, an hour and a half or something. It's, it's really good. So you're more into like the thrillers and true stories more so than... Like, I, want, I want the true comedy. stories. I want the true, true stories. stories. Yeah. Awesome. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes. Ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. 
Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, you know what? That's actually going to, you know, you're talking about some serious subject matters here, obviously, Nick. And uh, we do a little segment on this show that I know you haven't caught any Broadway, but this will be a chance to welcome you to the baseball and Broadway community and put you back in the batter's box for a very serious segment that we call Fastball <laughs> Derby. And like, oh my goodness. Yeah, think of Araldus Chapman on the mound throwing 105 miles an hour. Think of me as him without the neck tattoos and any actual ability to throw a <laughs> nice fastball. But I'll ask you a question, and why don't you just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind? That sound good? Sounds, sounds like I'll try. Okay, batter <laughs> up. Favorite New York City meal? Uh, chicken and rice. Now, you know I was why? Go with the you know why? Because that's what I ate all the time when I, I went to those little places on the side, like a kind of like a, it was like a grocery store kind of thing that I would go in there and just get chicken and rice. That's what I ate. Those little bodegas. Yes, that's what I. That's what I did. <laughs> you being a southern guy, though, I'm surprised you did. You know, you got to. Did you check out some of the Italian places just out of? Uh, I didn't. Curiosity? I didn't. I did. I did not. I checked out um, some Italian stuff in in Boston. But I never did it in in New York. <laughs> All right. Well, the chi- the chicken. I mean, I was. I mean, I was eating it. I was. I was sleeping until noon. I was just going to grab something <laughs> as quick as I could before I go to the after, ballpark. After nights out with Johnny yeah. Damon, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, toughest pitcher you ever had to face. Uh, Randy Johnson, perfect game. How about a guy you owned? Hmm. I own. I always felt good against Dontrell Willis. The D train. And you would have been facing. I'd have, right have to look my numbers up against him, but I think I, I think I did all right. Oh, you know who Andy. I owned is Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I guess that would have been, yeah, you would have been facing him quite a bit in 09 when you were on the Red Sox. You had some success against him. I, I did. And then um the last time I faced him, I think I was in Toronto and they, they led me off. I thought it was a mix-up in the lineup, and that was never playing. They led me off against because I was, had good numbers against Pettit, and I got a base hit my first at bat, and that was it. I think I think I might be like I think I might be like five for nine off of him or something. I had to go back and look. That's pretty damn solid line against Andy Pettit. Wow. All right, how about this one? Uh, fact about Nick Green that would surprise people the most. Hmm. Fact about me, I'm kind of messy. I know you seem pretty like kind of like clean cut no, over hey, there. You the, no, don't, don't let me tu- don't let me turn this computer around. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be horrified if I turn the computer around. <laughs> you could be the lead in one Broadway musical. What would it be? Hmm. I don't know. You know, one musical I really love. Is What's the greatest that? showman. That's a good one. I can see you doing some Hugh Jackman. I I I almost teared up when I watched the green light of that. Have you seen that? Wait, the Where they're trying to get it green lit. They're trying to get it green lit for Oh, I for, didn't see uh, a documentary. Got, it's like five minutes. Oh, but five they, minutes ba- they basically had everybody in the cast in one room and they started to play the main song. It's unbelievable. I almost cried. So you're playing so that I soundtrack. Could, I could, yeah, I could do something like that, maybe. If okay. I could sing. 
Yeah. <laughs> All-time favorite film. Ah. Uh. I don't know the names of them now. I used to I love all of the uh um what is it? I can't even remember his name. Jason Statham films. Oh, there's a couple I I why do, I I like feel I used to I used to love them. all of them. I used to watch that's what I used to watch before I got married and had kids. I used to go to the movie all the time and watch those crazy action fake movies. Yeah, I uh, wait, the Fast and the Furious movies. No, J- no, uh, no, no, no. They were. Um, Did you say Jason Statham? Yeah, Jason Statham, but they weren't Fast and the Furious. I watched those too. I okay, have to go back. And, like, see, I am awful <laughs> about movies and all that stuff, man. I- I've been on kids shows for the last seven years. <laughs> <laughs> all right, how about this? There's a movie about Nick Green's life. Who's playing you? Oof, that's a good one. Movie. About me playing me. Who would I want to play me? Maybe, uh, you know, Matt Damon. I might like, let Matt Damon play me. Yeah, and he's got some ties to the Red Sox, too. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I'm sure he'd be open to we're it. We're similar. We're similar. <laughs> I almost took out Ben Affleck's buddy at uh, a Red Sox game one time. Wait, you used to sit by the dugout. <laughs> oh, man. That, wow. And that, that was, I'm trying, that was Jennifer Garner days, right? Oh, nine. Uh, Lopez. J Lo. Oh, if I'm not mistaken, J Lo. I'm I thought pretty she was sure Mark Anthony. Then I could be wrong. Maybe I could but be I think I think yeah, because I, I don't know who. I, I don't know. know. Either, either <laughs> way, he's, he used to come and sit by us by the dugout all the time. He, oh, he said so cool. he said something to me when I hit, when I came back to the dugout. <laughs> what did he say to you? <laughs> I don't do you remember? remember. I was laughing though. I'm like, dude, I'm, I apologize. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually I actually met him too. Um, the I was hurt, so I went to the set of the the film with him and Jeremy Renner. Um, oh, the town! Yeah, they yes, shot that right the in Boston. So I went. I went on that set probably five or six times. It was cool. freaking awesome. You got invited there? Yes. I by Affleck. No, uh, I knew somebody else that like his assistant at the time. So oh, that is freaking. It was awesome. cool though. It was cool. And then my mm. my wife ended up knowing Jeremy Renner from L.A. And so that was cool. Uh, so they were, they were all great though. They were all great. That is freaking awesome. All right. Here's a fun one that we ask a lot of our guests. America's band, the beach boys or Eagles? Neither. Who's America's band then? I, I don't like those bands. <laughs> Who do you like? I don't like those bands. <laughs> <laughs> not much of a classic rock guy. No, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm, I'm more of like a, a hip hop type of, type of guy. Like that's, that's my what I like right now. Is Run DMC like considered hip hop? Is that would you say like Run uh, DMC, America's Band, something like that? I'll take Run DMC. Yeah, okay, that'll be fine. All right, I, I have no yeah. objection. There. I mean, the Super Bowl show to me was like the greatest thing ever. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I love Eminem, so, man, and the Eminem Fifty yeah. Cent part were great, but everyone else is Snoop. I don't know Snoop, Dr. Dre. Like, come on, I like Dr. Mary Dre. J. Blige, Mary J. Blige was classic. Yeah. She's 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 a classic. Everybody likes her, and she is what she is. And but Dre and Snoop, hmm. those guys. They are were two going of my with favorites. an interesting. They were going with like a throwback theme. I miss the days of it. I'm going to sound yeah, like but that, that, that brings me back. That brings me back. Like I guess it brings you back with, with yeah. Dre, Eminem, Bone Thugs and Harmony. 
you know, all those, all those great rappers. And it was fun. My you buddy know, used I to was... work at, my buddy used to work at borders and he, he got me hooked on all this rap stuff and hip hop stuff. Borders books and music. Borders, rest books in and music. Peace. Oh man. I miss that. I, re- <laughs> I remember those stories. <laughs> well, <laughs> That was, that, was, oh. that, was the, that was the best spot to go. I mean, you go there, you could read your books, you could hang out, you look at magazines, grab some yeah. music while you're there. It was great. Well, they still got Barnes and Noble. I don't know if they, do they sell it's not the same. Well, who, who buy? Well, they, you know what they sell? I went to a Barnes and Noble recently. They were selling vinyl records, which is like the new Fed. Oh, you really? Like vinyl records or anything like that? I don't. Huh. Yeah, I don't own That's a record player in my apartment, yeah, but I, I waste money on vinyl just so I can hang them up on the wall. And They're there are cool. two Beach Boys albums up on the wall here in case you would wanted to. All know. right. I'll forgive you for that. <laughs> All right. How about this one? Uh, proudest moment of your career? Mm, I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, I had maybe walk off on Father's Day uh, in Boston. I think that probably would be the coolest moment. Because I, I finally got to wear the, I got to wear the blue wristband. Uh, Father's Day walk off in the rain against the Braves. It was probably my favorite moment. That's amazing. And uh, what's the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you, Nick? Best piece of advice is, you know, it, you know, I, I, I think that I go back and look now, and I don't remember as much about advice from baseball, but some of the best advice that I've get, gotten in broadcasting is 50% of the people are going to like you. 50% are going to hate you. So keep the 50% that like you on your side. Do you ever engage with the trolls or the people that don't like you? I don't because I don't, I don't want to deal with it. So I just let it go and move on. And it, it's a never ending thing. If you start to, to engage with them, you're never going to stop. And then it consumes you and you worry about what they're saying. And it's just not a good thing. And you end up having a pretty sad existence like Marcus Stroman. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it's it's tough. I mean, you end up, you're going to end up like ruining your home life. You're going to end up having to get off social media. And for me, I use social media to get all my news and all my information. And I don't want to ruin that by engaging with people I don't want to engage with. Got a good head on your shoulders, Nick. And oh, uh, thank you. Man, I hope that uh, you make your way up to New York uh, sometime. I know that you have some actual booth aspirations. Maybe the next time the Yankees uh, host the Braves, you'll uh, come along with them. Yeah, in 2019, I actually got to call on radio. I got to go up and and call uh, Atlanta-New York Mets games. So that was cool. Oh, that's right. Well, yeah, that um, that would probably make the most sense since you guys face yeah, each other 19 yeah, times a that, year rather than, you know, once every three years. So I, I don't, but, you know, I'm wearing a Yankee hat. That's why my mind that was went fun. to I got to go to MLB Network and the whole deal. It was cool. So, oh, that's awesome stuff, Nick. Man, uh, this was such a great chat. I can't thank you enough for joining us today, man. Yeah, you got it, man. I appreciate you uh, having me on. And finally, after weeks of trying to get on, we were able to make it work. Finally made it work. Yep, that's for sure, man. And uh, for all the folks at home who may want to connect with you on social media or Instagram, wherever you want uh, folks to find you, where's the best place for them to do that? It's just uh, Nick Green Twenty. So, no check mark on Instagram, but I have a check mark on on Twitter. But I don't. <laughs> I just retweet some stuff on Twitter. I don't talk talk too much. But the Instagram's fun. I like to post some pictures here and there of my kids. So if you like kids, then it might be the place to go. If you don't, then my wife's all over me all the time. You need to post baseball stuff. People like <laughs> baseball stuff. I'm like, I like my kids too. 
This is your family friendly Instagram for yeah. uh, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre diehard I know, fan over here. My kid, I can't get my kids on that stuff. I gotta listen to kids bop when I'm in the car, and that's it. <laughs> oh, you're the man, Nick. Thank you again. You got it, man. And thanks to all the uh, listeners in our audience today. Be sure to subscribe to Break a Bat. Follow us wherever you get your podcast. This is Al Malafronte signing off. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.